0: Hello and welcome to the Business of Agriculture a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we get together every week and discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. That's right. It's the industry that feeds the planet, the industry that we all work in, that we love so much, that many of us were raised in. It's the business of agriculture. You know, I... Tell you that we do this every week, and I already apologized in the previous episode. I said, "Hey, I did take a little time off over Christmas and New Year's. I didn't really take time off; I was just doing a bunch of other stuff, and it kind of got in the way of me recording podcasts." But I'm making it up to you with this. Brief episode here today about messaging. You know, we that work in agriculture are called upon to be spokespeople for this industry. We hear it all the time. You got to be an advocate. Now, frankly, I don't even like the word advocate because it's not a word, and it makes people think. God, do these ag folks not not know real grammar and English and what? the <laughs> It's a cute word. It's clever, but I get it. We say advocate and advocacy because it's clever. But the main thing here is: Are we really? out there delivering ag's message. So a big part of what I do, I speak to and about the business of agriculture. I also tell our folks all the time, hey, you don't need to convince me that glyphosate's not a problem. I, I use the hell out of glyphosate. You don't need to convince me that uh, you're not mistreating your animals. You don't need to convince me that the waterways are cleaner in the United States of America than they've ever been. Let's make sure that we're pushing this around where other people can hear it. Which is one reason I oftentimes encourage you, this is, this is a podcast that you can share with your non-ag friends. And They don't have to invest a lot, they're driving to work, just boom, click it on and they can hear the business of agriculture and hear stuff from our perspective. And that's one thing that I want this, today's episode, I think is something you can share with folks and also you can take it to heart. I'm basically going to tell you three messages that stick with our non-ag brethren. Messages that sell, messages that work, because it's about them. So here's where we're going with this. Okay, you and I both are. Let's say in the business of agriculture. You're you know you're a seed salesperson. You're an equipment manufacturer. You're uh, you're out here and you're in grain processing or food processing. You put green beans in cans. Whatever it is you do, farm, ranch, whatever it is you do, you're really infinitely familiar with this business of agriculture. You understand food. You get it. There's stuff that you just know. You know why we use antibiotics judiciously, more so than we ever have. We were kind of getting a little crazy there for a while, throwing tetracycline every which way and penicillin uh, <laughs> penicillin L or whatever the hell it is to every which way. We're, we're doing things right. And you know why we're doing those things right. But our consumers are pretty far removed. We hear it all the time they three or four generations removed from the farm. So here's what I'm saying. I'm around non-ag people a lot. I travel on airplanes about 130, 160 days a year, whatever it ends up being. Uh, I, I live half the year in the suburbs of Phoenix. I am around non-ag people. And I'm approached by these folks, and they have questions. Maybe they saw Food, Inc., Maybe they saw the documentary by Michael Pollan and and Katie Couric, which is completely left of center and calls upon uh, uh, hefty taxes and penalizing food companies for making kids fat. I mean, it's a little out there. But our consumers see this messaging. They watch Dr. Oz. They hear this nonsensical chorus of anti-ag information. And they're not bad people. Remember, only I did the math. You know how many people are PETA members? It's like six and a half million. So that's like 2% of the United States population of 327 million. All right. But PETA is a global organization. On a global scale, it's 0.008. It's eight one hundredths of 1% of the globe is a member of PETA. Most folks aren't members of HSUS. Yeah, they've got six or 10 million people that give them money. Half of that's fraudulent because HSUS convinces our consumers that this money will go to sick cats or, you know, spaying dogs. No, it's to pay a bunch of salaries for people in Washington, D.C. to fight us in agriculture. But I do digress. Most of our consumers are not members of PETA or HSUS or any other fringe, wacko, anti-ag organization. They don't donate money to the Environmental Working Group, at least not consciously. Most of our consumers, most of the 327 million people right here in the U.S. of A., most of the 38 million in Canada. Yes, I have Canadians that listen to this show. Thank you very much. I love Canadians. Wonderful. They bring me up there to speak at their events that they never have during the summertime. Always make me go up there during January, February, December, November when it's snowing. Oh, terrible. Anyway, most of our consumers are not wackos. They want to be friends of our organizations, of our, of our corn growers and of our beef producers and of our chicken producers and our milk producers. They're not anti-ag, but they are misinformed. So I'm going to give you three messages that sell, three things you can tell our consumers that will stick. And I'll tell you where this comes from. My friend, Bruce Terkel, is a branding expert. He's a speaker. He's an author. He sold an ad agency in, in Florida. And he has a book called, it's, all, uh, it's Called All About Them. And he's right. When you're in a consumer business, and agriculture is a consumer business, it's all about the consumer. So given that it's all about them, let's go with some messaging that works when we have to talk to our consumers. And I'm gonna give you the three right now. They are, first off, the good old days were not always good. Number two, food safety. And number three, variety and breadth of offering. And I'm gonna expand more on each of those, but I wanted to let you know, if you've stuck with me this long, by God, I'm gonna make sure it's worth your while. You can write this down, but you won't have to because it's very, very simple. Many people start with number one, the good old days weren't. There is a misconception that modern agriculture is somehow bad, and that somehow in the old days, it was good. Well, here's the thing. I'm 49. I've been around this since I was a little kid. Had my first job out there, driving the tractors, feeding the calves. I know the reality, so do you. Modern agriculture is not bad, but our Mr. and Mrs. Consumer, living in the suburbs of America or Canada, have this vision that the good old days were wholesome. Main street consumers—I call these folks again—they're not PETA members. They don't want to shut you down. They're not marching against Monsanto. They're not here donating money to the Natural Resources Defense Council to try and put you out of business because so you, you can't have, uh, you know, herbicides to do your farming. No, no, no. They're they're main street consumers. Now they're heavily influenced by those huge huge funds that those other wacko organizations throw at media causes. But Main Street consumers do have this one problem that they think industrial agriculture and factory farming, those are terms, of course, that our detractors invented, is evil and that the old days were wholesome. These Main Street consumers wrongly believe that last century was just a magnificent place. Now, these Main Street consumers, if you said, hey, I would like you to go without your cell phone for a week, hell, they couldn't go one hour. I'd like you to commute tomorrow in a Model T. Now, it will probably break down halfway to work, and it's snowing out there. There's no heat in your Model T. Oh, by the way, there's also no windows. Oh, and there's one other thing. Um, You you know that thing called polio that we eradicated in the 1960s? Uh, Guess what? Uh, You've got it now. Now, just think about that. The average consumer, Main Street consumer, wouldn't want a life in 1930, in the Depression, when we had polio and shitty cars and no cell phones, but they somehow believe that's when we should be still operating here in agriculture. It's kind of like modern Amish, if you will. (laughs) Let's not take them all the way back to 1850, but by God, let's drop them off somewhere in the early 1900s. I always point this out. Was the 1930s a wholesome time? Is that when this wholesomeness you long for, dear consumer, happened? Yes, I say, oh yeah, well, the average farm family didn't have indoor plumbing. They had things like dysentery, had the outhouses. Oh, there was also extreme rural poverty. Have you heard of a thing called the Dust Bowl? Yeah, where all the topsoil from the Plain States got lifted up and blown across the country. Farm families were displaced. Have you heard of a book called The Grapes of Wrath? Those were the good old days that you longed for. These Norman Rockwell days of agriculture that you somehow believed dear your consumer never really existed. It was always, always production. And frankly, we were never as good at it. Livestock handling techniques in the old days were more inhumane than they could ever be today. We weren't even good at it. We blew our efficiency. I mean, my God, you'd use four times the natural resources to produce the same amount of crop. So we're really efficient now. We're better with diesel fuel. We're better with natural resources. We're better with animal handling. And you know what? Our farm families are not out here pooping in a hole in the ground and suffering from poverty and being uprooted through dust storms to where all of a sudden they have to go and pick grapes or worse yet, go and try and sell apples in the nearest city. Think about this, folks. The good old days always weren't. Number two message that sticks with Main Street consumers is food safety. Now, the problem is you're going up against media. The media will tell the American consumer that they need to be fearful because fear sells. Remember, it's one of the baseline emotions. Mad, sad, glad, scared. That's it. Mad, sad, glad, scared. Those are your four human emotions. And the media knows they can make people mad. They might be able to do a little glad story once in a while. But by God, they can do tear-jerkers and make them sad. And the best thing they can do is make them fearful. And if you can touch the four human emotions, you'll have an audience. And the media understands that. So they make sure that they tell the audience, the media tells the crowd, as you will, that there's poisoned romaine lettuce. Now, how many people really got sick? Out of a country of 327 million people, how many were truly sick because of the lettuce at Thanksgiving time? Okay, uh, I'll give you bluebell ice cream. Remember this a few years ago? Tragically, one person lost his life. That's right. Bluebell had a food contamination issue. Their ice cream got some problems and one guy died. Okay, I think it was a guy. Not being mean, not being insensitive. Obviously, one person dying is bad. It's tragic. But in a country of 327 million people, won't you take those odds? You eat three times a day. And a person died. Out of 327 million people, I'd say we still have pretty safe food. So just put this in perspective. We have the safest food in North America that has ever been. In the 10,000 years of human existence, food is safer today than it has ever been before. You no longer need to cook your pork chop until it tastes like a tennis shoe. You know why? Because we got rid of tetrichinosis. Oh, you know what? Your beef? You can eat that medium rare also. Because we got rid of brucellosis. We got rid of all kinds of stuff. Dozens of nasty bugs that can kill you, make you sick. We got rid of them. We're not pumping these animals full of livestock either, dear consumer. Uh, Pumping these animals full of uh, drugs, I should say. In the old days, we used more drugs than we do now. Do you realize, according to the FDA, antibiotic usage in livestock decreased by 43% just between 2015 and 2018. We're producing safer meat, more of it. Safer milk, safer eggs, with less drugs. Your food is safe, dear consumer. Yes, we have an occasional hiccup. But again, the media is going to blow this out of the water because they know you'll tune in because you eat. Food is safer than it's ever been. That's your option number two when you want to tell an ag story that sticks with Main Street. Give them the numbers and the numbers do not lie. The foodborne illnesses and the food outbreaks, anybody that tells you that it's worse than it was, is absolutely lying. They do not know how to interpret data. The good old days always weren't. And number two, food safety. Number three, the story that you can use with Main Street consumers. Variety and breadth of offering. I mean, think about this. We've all heard the conspiracy theories that some big ag or some chemical company from St. Louis controls all the world food supply. Malarkey. It's just not true. The food supply is not controlled by Big Egg, less now than it really ever has been. Sure, there's still huge producers, Cargill, Tyson. uh, On the the fruit side, there's a, what, Del Monte, or, uh, uh, you know, you can go on, Dole. But the point is, now more than ever, small niche players have a role because of the foodie movement, because of the internet. You can now go online and find products that you never could get your hands on 20 years ago, give you an example, organic food. People say, oh, Damon, you're anti-organic. I'm not anti-anything. I'm pro-agriculture. I simply point out that some, some organizations and companies sort of, shall we say, use on the verge of fraudulent marketing to sell their wares. The non-GMO verified project is a complete and utter scam. It's actually a shakedown. It's kind of like the mafia where they go around and say, we won't break your windows out if you'll give us money. Hey, you want our butterfly or butterfly on on your food carton? No. Well, you know what? We're going to tell the consumer that unless it has the butterfly on there, it's poison. So what are you left to do? That's my problem with the non-GMO verified project, if you will. It's a shakedown. But that aside, let's use organic as an example. In 2017, $50 billion worth of sales in organic food. That's 5.5% of food sales in the United States of America. Still growing, albeit not by as much as it once was. But the food, organic food sales numbers are still growing by a bit. And that's just one category of small niche offerings. Remember, processed food is declining right now. Look at the market for cereal or crackers or things that are heavily processed. They continue to decline because the consumer thinks... There is no way I'm going to put all that processed food in my body. My body is my temple. Give me the avocado toast. Okay, that was a little spoof on the young crowd, but you know what? It's true The processed food is dying. Do you realize when people say big ag controls all the food, it's completely untrue because of the number of SKUs. That's right, SKUs, you know, those are the things that we swipe when we go through the uh, when we go through the uh, grocery store. There's more SKUs in the average grocery store today than there have ever been in North America. Jennifer Garner, for God's sakes. That's the chick that does Capital One commercial. Carter- that's right Jennifer Garner has a food company and she claims that blueberries grown on her family's farm in Oklahoma which I'm not even sure if blueberries grow in Oklahoma are in her baby food so if you're telling me that we don't, Paul Newman started with salad dressing now Jennifer Garner has blueberry baby food grown on her farm in Oklahoma allegedly there are more lines of crazy product. As I point out, I went through the natural food section of this huge Kroger outlet in Phoenix. There were 11 different kinds of salsa, and I don't mean 11 different variations with mangoes or chili peppers. I mean 11 different brands of salsa just in the nature food section. So the variety of offering you have, dear consumer, you should applaud. Rather than pretending that somehow agriculture is not treating you well, you should be grateful That you can choose anything you want from quinoa to gluten-free offerings, microbrews, gourmet cheese, non-milk milk. milk. Have you looked at the meat counter lately? I've been doing some research for one of my consulting clients uh, who's in the pork business. Grass-fed, cage-free, all-natural. Cage-free, crate-free, all-natural, never ever, which means it never touched an antibiotic, never even walked by one. I mean, it goes on and on, turkey hot dogs. The variety of food is spectacular, dear consumer, and you, dear agricultural listener, can use this message and it will stick. So again, we are called upon in our profession to be spokespeople for this industry, and we should do that because we are a small minority. Remember 1% of us farm? 7% of us work peripherally in the ag industry. So at best, we're outnumbered 93 to 7. It's probably even worse than that, depending on what specifically you're talking about. We can be spokespeople for the industry. We should be spokespeople for the industry. And I'm going to give you messages that stick because remember, it's all about them. As my friend Bruce Turkel says, it's all about them when you're in the consumer business. And agriculture is, after all, a consumer business. Don't believe it? Every dollar that we're going to come into for the rest of our careers comes from someone else. And that indeed is a consumer back to that point there. uh, I told you, number one, the good old days always weren't. Number two, food safety. Number three, the variety of offering. I actually wrote this in my article because it dawned on me. I was thinking back to being a little kid running around the town of Huntington, Indiana with my mother. We still had an A&P probably when I was, I don't know, five, four, about the time you start remembering things, let's say four or five years old. I went to the A&P store and it wasn't much. And now there's a Kroger in my hometown of Huntington, Indiana. Now, compared to the massive uh, you know, grocery stores or the specialty niche Whole Foods or something, it may not look like much. But I marvel at the consumer choice at even a Kroger outlet and a factory in Farmingtown in Indiana. So again, use the messaging of the good old days always weren't. My go-to is, of course, the Dust Bowl and the state and the plight of rural agricultural residents in the 1930s. Study your history, and you can point out to just about anyone that the good old days were not always good. Not to mention the malnutrition issues, the fact that we had rural people that were not doing well economically, and you can talk about a whole bunch of items right there. Not to mention the practices and the inefficiencies and the utilization of resources. Remember a Model 4020 uh, in the 1960s. Farmers love old John Deere 4020s. Put that efficiency against a modern John Deere. You know, put the utilization of water, if you happen to be an irrigator, the amount of water you're putting per acre, the good old days, you just fling water everywhere. Now we're pinpointing it. Same with natural resources. Same with the fertilization and the herbicides. We're putting pinpoint amounts of it where it needs to be. We're better for the resources. We're better for the environment. The good old days weren't. Food safety, yeah, there's an occasional outbreak. We're sorry, but we're doing a pretty damn good job, consumer. Your food is safer than it's ever been in 10,000 years of human evolution. And, of course, variety of offering. Man, you can just about get anything you want, as I make the point all the time. More than ever, you can find a Scottish Highland steer named Herbie that was pet by a daughter and blessed by a rabbi in Montana and ship it to you somewhere in Massachusetts. The ag business is all about them. You need to have a message that is congruent, with our business and as likewise all about them. I'm Damian Mason. Thanks for joining me here on this episode of the Business of Agriculture. Until next time, be good and tell a story that indeed is all about our consumers. Thanks for joining me.